lightning. Inspirational. Inspirational. Powerfully refining. Powerfully refining. And unapologetically controversial. Conversations with the Royal Impress. The entire world knows the secret of who you are. Now is the time to step into your queendom and become the Royal Empress that you're meant to be. One woman at a time. Conversations with the Royal Empress. Now Akima, she's the analytical Empress. Akima, she's the Empress that will challenge you. Now, straighten up your crown and be elevated through conversation. Conversation with the Royal Empress. Welcome to Conversations with the Royal Empress. This is Akila, and joining me is my fellow co-host, Hakima. And this evening we have a special co-host, Dr. Kimberly A. Garrett. And hi, Dr. Kim. Good evening. How are you? All right. Welcome to the show. So tonight we are going to talk about, I think a topic that's really uh, close to Dr. Garrett's heart, Dr. Kim, is love and life. And how do we heal one relationship at a time? In a nutshell, how do we heal the community with healthy relationships? So we're gonna talk about it. But before we start, a little about Dr. Kim. Before launching her love and life, according to Dr. Kim in 2018, Dr. Garrett has been an educator for almost 30 years, a lifelong Chicagoan, she began her career in the public school system teaching pre-primary students, and she is currently a professor of Dominican University specializing in teacher preparation and mentoring first-generation college students. Dr. Garrett is now focused on her passion, speaking about love and relationships in a way that empowers and motivates women in particular to heal our community one relationship at a time. And that part stood out to me healing our community one relationship at a time. And uh, I want to give Dr. Kim the floor to talk about what does that really mean? Well, thank you, first of all, for inviting me to talk about, as you just said, something that I'm passionate about. Um, and I think the reason why I thought that was the approach, one relationship at a time, is because many times we feel when we look at huge problems in society, there's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can do. This is bigger than me, or this has been going on for generations. What can I do? And in my personal life to say, I've not had the most success myself, right? With relationships. So can I even come to the table and say anything? But in hindsight, looking at um, people who have come to me, years and years later and say, remember that conversation we had? And most of the time I'll say no, <laughs> because as someone who considers themselves to be a confidant, once I've had the conversation, I'm done with it. Um, but people have come back to me and said, 
conversations that we've had made them think differently about the situations that they were in and how they made decisions differently after that point and the ripple effect from those decisions. Um, so that was one, one piece. But the impetus for me starting the group was um, all of those parking lot conversations and elevator conversations that seemed to happen after Bible study, after Sunday school, after meetings, sometimes in the grocery store. But mostly those after church really struck me in that here's a place that we say is carved out for healing, right? Since you mentioned healing earlier, here's a place that we've said or we've designated to be a hospital for the saints. And yet people will walk into church and leave out with the same hurt and then want to deal with it in the parking lot. So mm. why do you not want to talk about this there where you just had the assembly of the saints, right? a supposed um, network of support. And they said, there's a shame. So there, that was a common theme in those elevator and parking lot conversations. There's a level of shame when I talk about my current relationship status, past relationships, relationship um, desires, um, or even the uncertainty, right, about relationships. There's a shame that people were not willing to reveal in those spaces. So I felt the challenge of how to do this. So I tried having um, events outside of church and invite the church ladies and they may or may, they would or would not come or having events that were more secular minded and inviting those who were afraid to come to church or who had experienced church hurt and they would come and still, the conversations happened in the parking lot. <laughs> so um, it came to me last year, Let me maybe in a virtual environment. And I kind of got that paradigm from online teaching. And what I found out through my online teaching is students would tell me things online that they would never tell me face-to-face -face in a class. But in that online environment, I had students come out to me. I had students confess about sexual abuse. I had students um, share more than I ever <laughs> wanted to know and was definitely afraid to ask. So for all of those reasons, um, this group came into being and I see it as a safe space to talk about, to ask. And if you're still too afraid to um, put your own business out there, so to speak, you'll see someone else who approached the subject and folks are learning from each other. So I'm hoping that that ripple effect will continue. Um, the other piece, if I can add one more thing, and then, and then I'm open after that, is um, the violence. Living in Chicago, you know, violence comes up a lot. And I've had more than my share of participating in marches, in memorials for those who have um, been killed violently and before their time. And even in those spaces, as we marched and we talked to families, the same issue came up. It really centered around something that was missing in home environments and in relationships of those who are lashing out violently. There's some unresolved issues in childhoods, in homes, um, currently and in the past, that's causing folks to just go buck wild in the streets. So there again, 
How many marches am I gonna attend? Is that helping? Am I really helping? I'm gaining capacity, but I wasn't feeling like I was making any impact. And so again, it was those conversations in the parking lots, during the marches, the text afterward that spoke to the healing that needs to take place. And so that's what brings me here with the both of you today. And we appreciate you being here. It's interesting what you just said about um, the marches and what's going on, because I literally just put up uh, a, a post today where I said that many people are suffering from childhood trauma mm -hmm. and the false perceptions about themselves that they've received as young people mm -hmm. and they're using these adult years to heal from it or to escape it. Mm -hmm. That was an excellent post I might add. <laughs> yeah, I, saw, I saw that just a while ago. I was like, yes, sir. but I mean, just with you saying, <laughs> yeah, but just with you saying that and something is not being addressed, obviously. And people want, some people have a desire to heal and they don't know how. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Some don't want to face whatever it is. And so then there's that escapism. So you're going to heal or you're going to escape. And how do we escape from that? Because healing takes work. It does. It does. But even prior to healing, what you have to acknowledge that there's a problem. Well, you, right. Which and is so, the other thing that I said. Because <laughs> somebody right. asked me, well, what's the solution? I said, well, there's no one solution. But the first thing is to acknowledge it, to see it, to know that, that, that it exists, that there's something off kilter. Mm -hmm. And that's difficult when you are yeah. in an environment or you're taking in information through the media, be it social, be it the news, whatever, that would have you to believe that what we're seeing is the norm. Right. So if the norm is dysfunction in families, if the norm is violence, is if the norm is children being born out of wedlock, children being um, raising themselves. Etc. If we if, if we're convinced that that's normal, then there there's no reason to change. There's no motivation to change. We've accepted we've accepted that as the norm. So, and then when we do that, as you know, when you when you talk about uh, having children and all of that, when we do that and we bring them into the environment, you are teaching, even if that's not your your intent. Mm -hmm. children I've always said that children don't necessarily always listen to what you say they look at what you are doing absolutely and sometimes our actions don't line up with our words and we put our children in these environments and then then we get upset with them when they get older and they're doing the things that they actually saw you do mm -hmm. absolutely absolutely or that and you accepted and deemed as normal absolutely and like I said, even with the best of intentions, most of us without an awareness will resort back to what we knew to be true. So even, even when you say, I'm going to do better, and I hear people either say one of two things. Uh, I am not going to treat my kids the way I was raised. Yep. Okay. Um, or, you know what? Well, that's how I was raised. So, you're gonna, you know, <laughs> if it works for me, it's going to work for you. 
And even with both of those statements, you still see people end up acting out sometimes the opposite of what they intended mm -hmm. because there's those narratives that they haven't went back and unpacked. And so your behavior is what um, rooted on by experience. So end up repeating the same thing over and over and over and over and over and over again. And so it spills over into school. So like, so when I taught the younger children, nine out of 10, if there was some, if there was some level of um, dysfunctionality of them in the classroom, it stemmed to something that was going on at home. Finding the same thing with college students. You're not handing in papers. You're not, you're not showing up to class what's going on. Something's going on in that environment. Something's going on. Typically, they'll say with my parents. It ends up with that relationship, the mm -hmm. quality of that relationship. I'm teaching a class now on child, um, child, family, and community. And we were just talking about the importance of the uh, stability of the family of origin. And again, how that uh, feeds into identity formation. How does that feed into um, self-concept? right? Indirect and direct messages based on the ideologies of the family as well as the examples that they've shared. And then how does that then manifest, right, throughout that developmental cycle in school and as we're talking about violence that's in the community, in the workplace even. Um, you had some folks, I won't talk about the people I work with because they're wonderful, right? <laughs> but on some people's jobs, <laughs> you have people you like, did anybody at home ever tell you that? You see you know, me raising my hand, right? <laughs> did, did anybody teach you how to get along with others, you know? Um, mm -hmm. And then for me, the special challenge is, right, um, to say how, even with a family of origin that's considered intact, um, which would describe my family on the surface. My parents are still married, been married 54 years. You know, two kids, always, you know, never homeless. Both of them work, both of them professionals. Okay, so even with that, then why in the heck do I find myself twice divorced? <laughs> You're like, what's missing there? So teaching, teaching, they, they modeled a lot for me. So I saw the what but I never learned the how. So that again is why I'm saying these are things we have to talk out. It's like, why did that work? How did you all accomplish that? Those are conversations that we don't have. We, we, um, we depend on models, which are important, but until we start talking about the nuts and bolts of how does someone get from A to B or B to C, or once you're in there, how to get out, until we talk about those things, which people consider too private to talk. See, everybody likes the testimony. Mm -hmm. Everybody loves the testimony, how I got over, you know? Right. <laughs> and um, once upon a time, but still even in that, which is great because that gives one hope if they're in those instances, but we still need the educational part. How did you do it? How did you get out? How did you leave that domestic violence situation? How did you get through school when you had that child at 14? How did you survive and you were been sexually abused since you were six and seven? How? And that's, and that's the piece I think we still need. So one of the keys to healing is that talking within the village, within the, um, a safe space among those who we feel we can trust. And then, of course, 
the mental health on the mental health piece, which we know is becoming something prevalent that we're finally recognizing is a need. Not only do I need to talk to my sisters, which is valuable, but perhaps this thing that is oppressing me, I need to see a professional about. And it doesn't make me loco as we were teasing um, earlier, but it means that I need some additional assistance, right? An additional set of resources to get over, to get through, to resolve some of these things. Absolutely. Ooh, it, it's heavy. now, huh? Yeah, it is heavy. <laughs> it it is heavy because that just that not knowing how piece is is incredible because everybody copes in a different way, but sometimes just knowing exactly what someone did to cope. Mm-hmm. To make a difference in the world to someone else, but you got to feel comfortable with revealing that. And I think maybe sometimes people aren't talking about it because they still haven't moved past certain things that they have to heal from, like concern over the stigma that goes along with whatever it was that you went through. So you're still not ready to share that because that's still revealing something that you don't want revealed. True. True. You know, because, and I've had people say things like, well, I don't want to revisit that part. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you're still stuck if you don't want to revisit it. I mean, I get it because it still causes this in me. Okay. But then if it still hurts, then it means that there's still some healing to be done. Mhm. Mhm. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, people suppress it to the point they don't feel the hurt from it, or the 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 hurt they feel they don't associate it with that particular experience. So they suppressed it to that point, and it's like they're hurting but don't know why. Like you said, you don't want to deal with what you're going through. It's not bothering me. I don't want to revisit it. So then you think that makes it go away, but you suppress it and you you dig it. it you're burying it. It's like taking a bomb and drilling it down in the ground. And then when it explodes, it's a big explosion and it's damaging. And we don't really realize that's what we're doing because we think that's our way of coping with it. It's suppression as if that's going to make it go away, but it just buries it. But it's going to have to come to surface and then there'll be another traumatic experience that'll bring that up. And then now you got two situations that you got to deal with, one in the past and one in the current. But again, I think that goes back to um, our norms, right? Mm -hmm. Because I've heard people talk to younger women, look, you know what? You just have to go through. And we're, you know, we are built strong. Black women, we know Mm -hmm. how to get through things. Um, So you know what? You're just going to have to pull your big girl panties up and (laughs) and deal with it. And I think we've, we've accepted that narrative for too long that everything has to be a struggle. Everything has to be hard. So again, I don't think we even seek help sometimes where we could because we've, we've accepted that that's just, that's, just part of, that's just part of life. You know, the struggle love, the whole struggle love, I call it, uh, mm-hmm. uh, scenario that is just love is just hard. I talked about on one of my very first, my very first lives about the messages from our music. Okay, mm-hmm. and even old school music. So I went Ooh. old school 
was talking to the 40s and the 50s. I'm an Aretha Franklin fan all day long, but I promise you, Aretha taught me some bad stuff about love. Okay. <laughs> it, it, she's got more songs about since you've been gone, when you left, if you come back, how bad I want you, what I'll do to get you back. Honey, honey, baby, baby, sugar, please. Okay. And my kids even talk about my she oh, she's a stalker. She was a begging, <laughs> a begging ass woman. What are you listening to? You know, and I'm huh? Not, don't talk about the queen. But really, when <laughs> those lyrics, I said, oh, my gosh. And you're talking about stuff I've been singing, have memorized. So I was seven or eight years old. So then when I started dating, guess what? I could match every, I had a song for every, every dating situation I was in. Ain't no way. <laughs> singing, right? I had a Aretha song for everything I was going through. But, mm. but literally, literally, that lesson was ingrained. The love is hard. Love hurts. Um, it takes such a long time to find somebody who's going to love you like you love them. So then you accept it. You accept it. And then you continue to perpetuate it because that's just the way it is. And then for you to present something different, and I've had people say this to me, oh, you, in fact, the man said, oh, you, you, um, you talk about white people stuff. <laughs> wow. That's not, that's not how we do things. So to have a healthy relationship or my desire to have a healthy relationship means I want to be white. That's mm. really sad. If we've internalized that message that for, uh, for me to want to live a certain way says I want a sitcom life. Mm. That's really sad. Planning children. I remember my, my second husband told me that when I said, well, we should really think about, you know, when we want to have the next one. We don't plan kids. That's white people stuff. Huh? Wow. And I was like, well, my parents planned me. That's what they told you because they didn't want you to be her. <laughs> oh, wow. You know, so all of those things. So there's some stigmas even with saying, I want to live a holistic life. It's kind of like, mm. this is what we do. And, guess, and, and we've made it. And so just because we've made it, it's okay. But it's not okay. We're seeing so many instances where it's not working. It's not working and it's getting worse. Whereas the little kids say worser and worse. <laughs> it's getting worse. Worser. Worser. You're right. It is right. you're right. I agree with you. Worser. Mm -hmm. In this context, I think that's the perfect term. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And then so. men's perceptions sometimes of us. Mm-hmm. I've I've had a couple instances where people have said something to me. And I'm thinking, why do you think that that's the dynamic of the woman? Mm. Because that's what you're doing. You're projecting onto me your perception mm -hmm. of what you think this woman should want or that that's the reason something is not happening in your life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Two, two things happened. One brother posted on my page. I had put up this video about uh, somebody saying, why would you you know, stop kicking your children out when they're 18. Okay. And she was young and saying, you know, and so people were commenting on it and, you know, just dialogue and conversation. And this brother put on my post, oh, that's because you just don't want to be lonely. Like, that's the reason you're that this is okay for you not to kick your child out at 18. I, I mean... I'm assuming that that's not really what he meant. And I said, I, I don't think that that's what you mean. The kind of thing, like, you know, 
You know what I'm thinking? So you think that because this woman is single and her child who, you know, is in the house with her and I put up this video that somehow this, this court, well, you know, single mothers. Oh, okay. Why do you have this impression okay. of, of single mother? Mm-hmm. You know? And then I had another brother tell me, oh, well, see, you one of those women that you waiting on this rich man to, <laughs> I'm serious, fight in shining armor. Who gone, okay. Who's coming along with, you know, a billion dollars. Okay. <laughs> Not that that would be bad or wrong, but. <laughs> I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. As long as we're compatible and it's healthy because he can have all the money in the world, but if he's not healthy and he has a negative perception about relationships, then I, all I do is enter dysfunction regardless. Money does not get rid of dysfunction. It, it really mm. that covers it up. Say that again. <laughs> you know, I think a lot of men, speaking in terms of those type of brothers, a lot of the, you know, men's, men's, the first woman they really know is their mother. And they'll, they'll base all women or judge all women based on their mother. No disrespect to the mothers out there, but there are a lot of women who've been in some very traumatic situations with their children and their children observing that. Mm-hmm. And therefore, how, they, how their mother may have gone through it or how they perceive her to go through it. It's just how they look at all women. I mean, I've, I've learned that by working in a prison, in a male prison, mm-hmm. how all these men project their thoughts of a woman, uh, what they thought of their mother onto women. Mm-hmm. So if they perceive their women, their mother to be weak, then, you know, you all are weak. You all are this. And you're like, you all, you ain't even met all of us. <laughs> but that all goes back to, oh, say so your first thought goes back to your mother like when I think of men it goes back to my father so if I see a man that ain't no good I say well I mean that's him because my father's a good man so I'm not gonna look at all men as being bad because the man who raised me was not so I just think it's just um, those type of brothers have been through some bad situations or observed their mother going through some bad situations and they project it onto other women and then if you are if you're not weak like they picture you to be I'm gonna try to beat you down until you are weak. You're strong. <laughs> yeah. Oh. oh, so you think you're better than me? Oh, you think you you think you all of that? Oh, I'm gonna show you. So it's like you said, it goes back to what you talk about identity formation, our truths, mm-hmm. our, our norms, experiences. Right. They are real. They mm-hmm. are real. And until like I said, you want something different. I think we have to see something different. We have to hear something different. So again, um, that was another one of those reasons why Facebook, you know, why Twitter, these conferences are outpriced. It's a lot of women who out knew, you know, why don't we go to this conference? I want you to hear this. Can't afford it. Or if I can afford it, what am I going to do with my kids? Okay. Mm-hmm. Or again, I'm not coming inside of a church. I'm not coming around those people or whatever. So got to go where the people are. Where will folks talk? Folks, the, the um, what do they call that? Oh, my gosh. Um, it's kind of like what I was saying about the online environment, but the anonymity, there it is, the anonymity mm-hmm. of social media, just that one step removed. Folks will say some stuff they would never say to you sitting in a room. Admit oh, yes. some stuff, even liking, even just liking some stuff, acknowledging some things. They would never do that if you brought that up in a room. So mm-hmm. it's like, 
this has to go where these conversations are having some really ratchet conversations. Let's see if we can stir it up and do something um, a little different. And like I said, these um, the, the messages the men have gotten, the messages women have gotten, um, the lying that we do, we've talked about that um, in our group. How if this is what the standard is, if this is what um, seems to be who the men are choosing, then that's who I'll pretend to be yes. so I can get chosen, right? Oh, yes, so yes. <laughs> how many women do you see posting all this food on Facebook? And that's a thing, right? So I'm going to post this food. Oh, look what I just made. Yes, she can cook. This girl cooks, <laughs> right? Because the narrative that I'm hearing in these other relationship groups from the men is women today don't cook. And we don't cook like my mama used to cook. Mm. See, a, real woman, a real woman know how to throw down in the kitchen, know how to throw down in the bedroom. That's the kind, that's the kind of woman I'm looking for. You know, I'm over the bad bitch. I, I want me a good woman that's going to cook for me, keep a house. Yeah, these girls don't want to do that. So everybody gets on there. Oh, yeah, I just, that's just a little something I threw together on a Wednesday night. <laughs> no good and well. You eat a chick for and Burger King the rest of the week. Stop lying. <laughs> Why are you lying? And then when Ooh. that man gets you, and I've yes. seen people go through that. They get, it goes, it happens all the time. Girl, what, what you going to do about all that stomach? What you going to do about all this? Well, we eating chitlins on Thursday. We eating, huh? That kind of comes with the territory. Or they find out that you can't live through this lie that you've perpetuated. Boom. Mm. Or the reverse, like I experienced the guys who want to sound very egalitarian and modern. Yep. Oh, you know what? We can both cook. We can both care, uh, share the domestic responsibilities. I'm not looking for anybody to take care of me. You know, I'm independent. You're independent. Let's just you know, put it all together and have that kind of life. And then jump the broom. And guess what? That man is looking for his mom and his granny. But I thought you said you understood that I work 60 hours and you work 80 hours and that I'm not going to do this, right? Yeah, but I mean, you could every once in a while, can't you? Mm. <laughs> or, you know, I, I don't understand. Why is that important to you? And why couldn't you be honest about that in the beginning? You know, why couldn't you be honest about it? So everybody's out here telling lies. And, and like I said, a lot of this based on this is what this is what I should desire because this is what I was taught. Some of it is direct and some of it's indirect. My ex again, his mother taught him some deliberate, hateful things about women. It was interesting, deliberate. Don't you let a woman do this because women are like that. Wow. Don't, don't ever give a woman this information because all she's going to do is this. Wow. Don't kiss a woman in the mouth because you don't know her mouth being. <laughs> don't eat a woman's spaghetti. She might have her menstrual in it. Oh, yeah. Don't do this. Don't do this. So it's all these don'ts. So he came into the marriage with like, you know, one eye open, one eye closed. Like, I'm, just, I'm waiting for her to do one of these things. <laughs> <laughs> she, told me to, she seemed like a good girl. But I don't know because she said women. Mm. She didn't say some women. She said mm -hmm. women. how women are. Yes. Okay. To this day. And what hasn't been since he went to therapy. He's been able to unpack that, wow, those were some bad messages. This is why I cannot have a healthy relationship with a woman because I believed all of that and my behavior followed those beliefs. Mm. And that was direct teaching. So I said, it's bad messages. We're saying some bad stuff. And in some cases, 
we're hearing some um, some really destructive messages. Same yeah. thing about, about themselves, even men who are hung up on salaries. That's a big one. So if I don't make as much money as you, am I going to carry the weight in the relationship? Now that goes both ways because we have some women who will throw that in a man's face. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm carrying. I'm taking care of you. You don't tell me. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'll run this ship. But those messages where men were taught, you know, that that's the only aspect of providing that matters. Mm. Providing means I'm paying everything and then you take care of everything. Then I, so I go out here and kill the dragons. You take care of everything in here, you know. And then when you try to change that narrative, it's like, I, don't, I can't trust that. I've not seen it. I've not heard that, you know. So I don't know. But when you look at the statistics, and the statistics are real in saying that the earning potential of men in our ethnicity does not match the number of women within our ethnicity making that same, making those same amounts of money. So what are we going to do? So either we're going to make some concessions or you're going to date outside your race or you're going to be single. One or the other. Somebody's, somebody, something's got to give. Mm. And, then, and then likewise, mm. I'm saying some women in the group and that's come out. I'm not dating a man that makes less money than me. I don't care how sweet he is. I don't care how many macaroni and cheeses he can make. I don't care how, if he takes out the garbage, he has to make more than me. I'm not going to accept that. Okay. But again, if you go to the data and the data is there, earn it. The money is not there. The money is not there at the same level. It's just not. For that a society, also, for a, a magnitude of reasons. Go ahead. I'm sorry. That's okay. I was going to say that leads to that whole conversation of there's not enough eligible black men. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's subjective. It is because, and I always say, it's not enough eligible black men that you want. Boom. Yeah, that's the way it should be. And and then even the narrative of black men who say. Oh well, we out, well women outnumber us, and so that's why we should have more than one. Yep, which is yep. false too. That whole women outnumbering men. I've seen stats that that. Well, yeah, it's not true. Yeah, but you know, it's men. Not, it's are, not to the level. They've been that. programmed that, or they've got that from somewhere, and they done ran with it. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's an urban legend, and mm-hmm. because because I'll hear them say, well with the number of men who are in jail and the number of men who die and the number of men who are gay. And, and then I say, yeah, but there are also gay women. Mm-hmm. So that should counteract that part. <laughs> well, that's wrong anyway, because there's more men in the car, more men in, um, enrolled in college than it is incarcerated. incarcerated. So, right. Because see, that's say, another like, myth that they right, believe. If one in four men are in jail. That means three and four, three out of four are not. <laughs> Thank <Boom>. you. <laughs> Do the math. She's focusing on the one out of the four instead of the three out of the four, which is which is more than double. Okay, right. Those who are not keep accepting that narrative. I, I think that's from from men who want to yeast them with low self esteem, and they need to tell themselves self that to make them feel special. Well, see, most men in jail. See, I'm out of jail, and I ain't got no record. I'm a good man. It's like where you get this stuff from. So I've heard, I've heard some men say that. I'm like, oh, okay, 
because you're not incarcerated, that makes you a great man. Okay, thank you very much. I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna give you applause. You know, so I just wanted to add that to what you said. Mm -hmm. But again, some of that is coming from the women in their lives. That's what I'm saying. Yes. True. Well, you know mm -hmm. what? He's good. Look, there's been plenty of older women trying to fix me up with their sons. Now, <laughs> I know, you know, I know he may not, um, you know, have all the education you have. And I said, that's, that's not important as mm -hmm. of what kind of a man is he? Well, you know, he had a little trouble in the past. <laughs> but he's really, he's really a good man now. Well, what, what makes you think he's a good man? Mm -hmm. He goes, you know, he, um, he goes to work, basic. <laughs> right. Exactly. He, he got to eat right. He got to eat right. <laughs> you know, and he comes, he comes and he helps me when I ask him. Basic. Okay. Now he, he don't go to church the way, way uh, I really want him to, but he does, he does know God. He does know God. He doesn't know him on a first name basis. Do they know each other? Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so what makes him a good man? He just says, you just have to meet him. You just have to meet him. It's okay. All right. And then you come up and you go over to the older woman's house and grass not cut. But this is your favorite. This is your favorite son. You live in like, mm. Mm. oh, what do they say? How does a man take care of his mother? Then Dick, how he's going to take care of you. Now she said he comes over and does stuff when she asks. And I walked to the house. I can't tell. And then why am I meeting him here? Where does he live? Mm. Oh, I'm helping that. I'm helping her to take care of some things right now. Mm -hmm. Really? Yeah, right. <laughs> so I'm tired of hearing that. And then where are you living? So I remember telling the girl, she said, well, no, he said that he's, you know, he moved back home to help. <laughs> said, where does he live in that house? Mm -hmm. That will tell you everything. First, he didn't want her to come to the house. I said, go to the house. Uh -huh. Where he lives. She said, where do you think he should stay? I said, I'm not going to say anything. Go to the house and see where he lives. So she found out he didn't have a room. He wasn't in the basement. He was staying on the couch. Oh, no, no, see. Uh -uh. Yeah. I said, so his mama don't even trust him <laughs> to have space in that house. I said, the basement, I might with another guy, he said, he was sharing a house with his sister. We're sharing the house. We both are on the mortgage, and we felt that was the best thing for us to do at this age since she wasn't married and I wasn't married. Okay. Go to the house. Where is your room? Oh, no. I stay downstairs in this little room off the, the, <laughs> oh, the, laundry, off the laundry room. <laughs> the side room, the guest room, huh? Sharing the house, but you all are sharing the house. Okay. I love it. The guest room. <laughs> if you see them all over Facebook, he is the love of his family. You know, and so then when my conversation changed, like I wasn't interested to see women like you don't know how to appreciate a good man. Your whole <laughs> life is based on a pack of lies because I would have rather you told me, look, I've fallen on some hard times. I made some bad business deals, which, which ended up being his story. I made some bad decisions. I'm, I'm on the turnaround. This is what I'm doing. Now, I can sit back and watch and see if you implement your plan. Exactly. But for you to sit up here and try to schmooze me, as my mom would say, pull the wool over my eyes and say, I own this house with my sister. Okay? I'm a homeowner, a partial homeowner. 
when boo, you living on borrowed time and grace in this girl's basement. Mm -hmm. But a good man is because you dress well and you smell good and your hair's together. See, it's fine as all get out. Yeah, that in space. But that that's a good man, and that's what the family, that's the narrative of the family. He's the, you know, the chosen one. And anybody should love to have my brother. Okay. <laughs> so our standards. And then if you have the standards of you being a grown-up, just a grown-up, you go to work, you're good to your family, you're responsible, you're healthy, you know how to have a conversation, you know why you believe what you believe those that you believe in something period and mm -hmm. you actually read something that wasn't scrolling on a screen okay those kind of things that's asking way too much well see that's because you must have been raised like this like that's a running joke with my friends well you know kim they the huxtables so they don't <laughs> they don't understand like when i met my guy wow. that's what he told them he said well you know he said you all he said well you know you all know we're claudine he said, but Kim is the Cosby show. They said, oh, okay. So, oh, wow. So when they met my family, they were looking like, yup, there's Rudy. <laughs> there go Rudy, damn. You Rudy, was you Rudy? <laughs> I'm, I'm Vanessa. Oh, you Vanessa. <laughs> Sometimes they'll say I'm Sandra. But so my dad, Cliff and Claire, they'd be like, oh, look at Cliff and Claire. Look at them. Terrible. So I was like, isn't that a shame? But wow. But they were like, we were Claudine. They said, they're Claudine. <laughs> it, but isn't that amazing how we see things and how, you know, like what's actually wrong with the Cosby? There's nothing wrong with that. But we say that in a joking manner, mm -hmm. but you really mean some, there's something deep rooted yes. when people say it to you. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I think it's envy and jealousy. I think it it's is. envy. It, it, it is. People will make mockery and make a little jokes, just like the women that'll say, because I've it's funny because I had a, a co-worker say something to me and I was like, Oh, shots fired. Oh well, you got a man, so you don't understand. What the hell does that mean? You know what I mean? So I think a lot of the comments or things that people may say to a person mm -hmm. is the or the comments people say, Wait, you don't know about that because you educated, you know how people do yeah. and i just think that it's it's envy and jealousy is a root of it. i didn't grow up like you and i perceive the way you grow up or what you have to be better than my situation and that's mm -hmm. not necessarily the case when you're looking for me outside that's right that's right there's like i said there's pros and cons to everything and insecurity too <laughs> uh -huh. sometimes it sometimes it's just insecurity and and a, and a nervousness mm-hmm you know, like I don't really measure up, and so I'm just gonna joke my way through something mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to just kind of take the 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 thing off of me. You know, I can't. I don't really compare with this per in my mind, and not mm -hmm. understanding that mm -hmm. you compare with people. Well, we shouldn't be comparing ourselves because you're your own individual self, and so it really doesn't make a difference one way or the other who this person is. But you need to be comfortable in your own skin. Why that other person is who they are, period. You know, just to, oh, yeah, you educated. Oh, you, and? But we do, I think, I think we're just, a, we, we, but it just, from the beginning of what we, what, we, what we were discussing, all of it leads back to unhealed spaces inside of us. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. And we we walk around projecting, deflecting, throwing like throwing like we got this toxicity ball <laughs> that we keep throwing, and this person catch it and they throw it to the <laughs> next. <laughs> I like that it's a metaphor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's just it's just a perpetual cycle. Like we just passing it around, and stuff gets added to it, right? And it right, it gets bigger and bigger. Volumized, right? Because it was it was like a little pebble. Now it's a ball. Exactly. <laughs> it's gonna be a boulder in a minute. <laughs> until, until we figure out how to heal those broken pieces in those unhealed spaces in us, and and then have healthy relationships because we learn how to do that. And I mean, I guess my question is, how how do we do it? by talking, by examples, um, especially when those, when those messages come from, I would say, sources that we wouldn't expect them to. So again, mm-hmm. I think that's why I have so much currency in my group and people I've talked with, is that when someone who has supposedly achieved some things says mm-hmm. that, guess what? I got some messed up stuff going on with me too. Not you, you know, mm-hmm. just like you said a minute ago, you wouldn't possibly understand this because you Murray, you know, mm-hmm. and I wouldn't possibly understand this because I'm Dr. Kim, you know, and, and you wouldn't understand this, you know, you're a Kim, I don't understand. So when folks like us, so to speak, or, or women who have achieved a certain age and have gone through some things are willing to be vulnerable and say that here's some stuff that. I messed up or here's some things that happened to me. Um, and this is how, this is how, this is what I did as a beginning point, as an entry point into dealing with that problem. But I would say that's a big one. It's people who um, folks respect. I think that's why the whole, um, why the stigma around mental health is diminishing because we're seeing celebrities and those who are uh, esteemed coming forth and saying, Hey, I struggle with this, I struggle with that, or I seek therapy. The stigma isn't there. So I think the more we normalize having conversations about what hasn't gone well and what's going well now and being willing to say those things um, in, a, in a variety of venues, I think we will begin at least to open the doors towards healing. Um, and it starts earlier. Um, we were talking about identity formation earlier, part of identif- identity formation, and you were just talking about um, comparisons, but that's actually one of the ways our identities are shaped, is mm-hmm. through social comparison. It begins on the playground, depends in school. Mm-hmm. She's friendly, she's mean, that's the smart one, that's <laughs> the dumb one, that's the mean one, okay? And when those aren't filtered out, and we had years and years and years, like that ball you were just talking about, mm-hmm. but even in school, and I'm, I'm teaching teachers that those conversations have to happen in that classroom. Certain things that will not be um, tolerated about how we treat each other. It goes even beyond bullying, but forming communities within the classroom. And then how does that filter out into that neighborhood? There were so many fights that could have been avoided at the school. And I taught teachers that even when I was still in the classroom, that they didn't want to deal with because that's in the neighborhood. If you don't deal with what's going on in the neighborhood, it's going to infiltrate this classroom and vice versa. 
Mm. So it's in schools. We got to talk about it. It's in the church house. It's on the corner. It's on social media. <laughs> okay. Is at family dinners. It's in, in, the, in the restaurant. You know, wherever you are, okay, we have to be willing to call it out. We've got to go back to calling out some things when we see it. I'm still the idiot that will address a bad kid in a store. I don't mm. care if they don't belong to me. Your mother may cuss <laughs> me out. Yes, I cuss you out back. But I bet little kid knows next time he sees this little old lady, he won't behave like that. We, we've got to change this one situation at a time. It's something I, I wish um, I, I read something a couple of days ago and said it perfectly, but it was along the lines of each individual circumstance that we see is indicative of a larger pattern. Mm. So we, sometimes we look in a vacuum, well, it's just where I am or, you know, but as you talk to people, and I know you all know this is true, you find out, no, this is happening everywhere. It may look differently, um, but this is, and it is indicative of a larger pattern. When we look back and see how things have changed over the last 10 years, the last 20 years, it, it happened a little bit at a time because of things we ignored, because of things we accepted, because of things we um, ingested and, and, um, and perpetuated as normal. So we're going to have to reverse it in the same way. It's going to have to, it's going to be a shift in culture and the shift in culture happens by those small changes that cause larger ripple effects. And so I may be overly optimistic, but at least it helps me to stay on the planet knowing that instead of me sitting in my kitchen fussing about it, I'm actively doing something about it. Because awareness without action is really no awareness at all. You might mm. as well stick your head in the sand. Oh, I love that. Awareness without action. Oh, my gosh. Is, isn't that. awareness at all. <laughs> say, can you say that again? Please say that again. My Awareness without action isn't awareness at all. Mm. Because we think awareness is just, I'm aware now. Okay, I'm good. See, that's what we think, right? Isn't that what we think? Uh, I'm good now. I'm aware. Yeah. And I'm going to put a <laughs> heard people out of every once in a while. I've heard people say that. Yeah. Well, I, I, I acknowledge that this is my issue. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but then you do nothing about it. What are you doing about it? And what it so so you know, but there's no steps being taken. None. To change whatsoever, because that's where the work starts. Absolutely. And it's uncomfortable. Yeah. It's messy. You know, even my kids, you know, sometimes they're cringing when they you know, listen to the playback. You actually said that to people? I did. <laughs> well, couldn't you have called it this? No. <laughs> because only two other people would have known what the devil I was talking about. So I have to say this in no uncertain terms, straight, no chaser. Yep, this is how I roll presently. This is how I rolled past tense. This is how I'm about to roll in the future in ways that anyone can understand. Mm -hmm. And if you don't get it today, the seed has been planted. Maybe you'll get it tomorrow. That's the whole point. People get frustrated too because they well they're not getting. It. You're not gonna hear me. But the preachers, y'all ain't hearing me. They may not today. But have you said it? And we have a responsibility, a responsibility for saying something. Right. We must. We must. So I don't want anybody to say that they met me, knew me, saw me, 
and I didn't try to speak the truth to them in some kind of way, or at least share my own truth. And you do with it what you will. But I would be remiss if I didn't do it. And so I sat probably about nine years ago, maybe 10 now. And that was at the point of my second divorce. And I said, God, really? Like, what's wrong with me? I can't stay married. And you know, that <laughs> thing in the, in the black, she ain't got no man. She can't keep no man. So what's I'm wrong fine. with me? But then this is the revelation I got, which again, brings me into this space. You've been, I've been a stepmother. So my first marriage, I was a stepmother. I've been remarried, right? So I've been married twice, been divorced. Then the mother of a son, the mother of a girl, two girls. I lost two children. And he said, you know what? Because of all those experiences, you can connect to people mm-hmm. and share that story mm. and be able to say, I understand and mean it. Because the worst thing is when people come to you, I know exactly what you're talking about. And they don't have a clue. Mm. Well, I've given you these perspectives. That is why you've had those experiences. And that's what I, and that's what I bring here. So it's not too many things. So I've been the other woman. <laughs> okay on purpose <laughs> and by accident, you know? So all of those different experiences, very few things people can say to me and my face is broken because I'm shocked. It's like, oh, okay, wow. So how did that happen? So how do you feel about that? Like, you, you don't think that's strange? Mm, no. And I might not tell them that first time, but girl, please, I did that some more. <laughs> Eventually it'll come out and it's like, not you. Yeah, me too. Right, you know, victim of rape, victim of domestic violence, all of these different lenses. And at first it was, why me? And now it's like, thank God. And so it'd be great to just put on my look, my cap and my beanie, as my kids call it, and act like none of that ever happened. God would not be pleased. He would not be pleased with me. So we got to keep talking, ladies, and we got to be real about the talk. We got to be real about the talk in every space we can. Yeah, I love it. I, and I, one of the things I tell people, I say first person you need to be talking to is God. And, you know, they get that look on their face like, you know, their eyes rolling in their head. And they, I'm like, as I said, the problem is you talking to a spooky guy. You're not really talking to God as if Listen. He, uh, he's being, as if you're being truthful and that you understand that he is real and that he ain't for play. I said, so when you go to him and you sincere, then you will get some results because you ain't going to get no results praying to him with that look on your face like, that don't work. I had somebody tell me prayer don't work. I said, because you ain't praying. Who you praying to, the devil? Because you sure say you ain't praying to the Lord. What are you asking? How are you praying to him? A lot of people just go on these, Lord, help me do this and get up. I'm like, what kind of prayer is that? You need to be specific. Lord, give me the discernment. So that I could see the error in my ways. I said, are you praying like that? Okay. So what are your thoughts in that, Doc? Because so many people frown upon prayer as if it is not something, a resource or a tool to be, to help heal themselves. Yeah. And I was like, that's the perfect one because you don't have to worry about hearing it again. That's for sure. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Everybody ain't going to throw it up in your face, right? But again, what what was I saying earlier? So which which God are you praying to? Well, again, what has been modeled for us, mm-hmm. right? Now, I've had some pretty good examples in ministry. 
people who could talk to God, you know, transparently. You know, God, I'm just messed up today. I need you to help me. Mm. I'm in vows and doles, right? Mm. I'm going straight to the throne. I'm sitting on your lap. Mm. Okay. Mother God, Father God, whoever I need you to be, listen. Okay. Hip. Okay. Because <laughs> I can't do this by myself. But most folks have not had those models. I got to kneel. I got to face this way. I got to say it this, this certain way. I got to follow the model of the Lord's prayer. Instead of saying praying without ceasing means what? Const consistent communication. Mm. Consistent communication. Teeth, so teeth. Oh, I cuss <laughs> these people out. God, I'm weak. I'm tired. Okay. Mm. Did you see what these people just said to me? All of those conversations that mm. are you. That will keep you. Lord, I messed up again. I promised I wasn't going to do the help me. Okay? Mm. Help me in spite mm. of myself. Like you said, so it depends on which God you're talking to. But if you're talking to that God from the Ten Commandments, God, I can imagine you don't pray. <laughs> well, don't get no results. <laughs> and thus, not get any results at all. And go out your mind. So, it's like I said, just, here, here's the thing. And what was it? Oh, God, I don't want to mess this up. And my pastor taught, taught us this some years ago. Your sociology and your anthropology guides your theology. Woo, say that again. Dang, I need to write this stuff down. I need to write that down. <laughs> and your anthropology drives your theology. So simply put, how you see yourself in a societal complex context as well as a cultural context drives how you see God. So if you mm. already see men and if you, if you've been taught God is a man and your relationship with men have done what disappointed you or you mm. feel threatened. Mm. How are you going to pray to a God that you already like, I don't know. <laughs> but how my husband was taught about my ex-husband was taught about women. And what men feel about women. So if you think I'm already filthy, I'm a Jezebel, I'm this, how can I tell that God any of this? Mm. Period. I'm not yeah. going to. I'm not worthy. I'm just a woman. Mm. And now I'm just a messed up woman. Right. I'm a whorish woman. I'm a filthy mm. woman. I'm a dumb woman. How you going to pray to a God that you think thinks that about you? He sits high and looks low. Mm. Woo! That's been directly taught in many places. How are you going to pray to a God that you feel like that about? Mm. You're not going to. And then a self-fulfilling prophecy that prayer doesn't work because I don't work it. Mm, mm, mm. Woo, you teach it, sissy. Teach it. There it is. That's a relationship in itself, right? That's when right. It, mm -mm. But it drives your theology. So whatever you think about yourself, whatever you think about yourself and how I function in this world, that's your view of God, and that's how you function with God. So, yeah. Or not. Or not. <laughs> or yeah. not. And I said, how do I pray? And I said, so, so then how do I pray that prayer? God, help me to leave this man alone. That's somebody's husband. How am I going to pray that prayer? When God, you understand? Mm-hmm. The, the prayers that we want, we want to pray. I've already had these three children by three different men. God, I don't want to do this anymore. How you going to have that conversation? It's got to be made, though. 
at some at some point, but usually it's the point of what tragedy. Mm, like I was telling the class the other day, they said the uh, church membership was at an all time high in two thousand and one. Why? Nine <laughs> <At> eleven. <laughs> any building with a cross, folks <laughs> making their way into it, because okay. they thought it was the end. Mm. So tragedy usually at those points, people will try to turn to something higher than themselves. But absent of that, most people will be complacent and they will fuss, they will whine, mm. they will cry. Or as I've shared, when the phone, when when nobody answers the phone. When I've exhausted every text and every phone number that I can and no one will answer, then I will go vertical and seek help. But it's usually after we have exhausted everything here, then we go up. Since that's where we think God is. <laughs> okay. Mm. Not Emmanuel. God with us. God on the earth somewhere, you know. And so then if he sees everything, then why do we think it's such a, uh, a, a epiphany when we share things? Wasn't God there mm-hmm. when it happened? So it's, it's too much. It's too much. But, yep, that's a lot of it, too. We got work to do. Lots and lots of work. And it's going to take you and you and you and you and you and me. Absolutely. Everywhere we can. Leave no stone unturned not be quiet it's time to get louder louder and louder and louder yep and talk to anybody who will listen and respect the fact that we may not see the manifestation of that work and that's the frustration but the responsibility to plant the tree we may not ever see it grow up that's something i had to learn teaching young children most of the most of my students were preschoolers kindergartners so some of that, um, the affirmation didn't come till 20, 25 years later, they found me. I know you Dr. Garrett now, but I remember when you were Miss Singleton and you taught me this, you taught me that. My son, his chiropractor is a girl he went to kindergarten with. I was his kindergarten teacher. Wow. And so he was teasing and he says, what, what were you teaching that year? Because she's over here, you know, being abusive and all of this. And I said, I'm not responsible for her chiropractic skills. I just taught her <laughs> how to read. I just taught her how to read. But to know, like, wow, who would ever thought that girl at five mm-hmm. had no idea what she would be or where she would be. Mm-hmm. So that, that's a gift. But mm-hmm. there's so many more that I'll never know. But I had to do it. And it's, and it's the same thing with this. So you, you may not be there when that woman leaves that relationship. You may not be there when that girl gets herself back in school. You may not be there when that one starts their business and they were homeless. But we're responsible for planting that seed. Mm-hmm. That's the responsibility we have. Ubuntu. How can I be what I am because you are? So how can I be okay when my sisters are not okay? Mm-mm. Just because I got mine, I can't say you got yours to get. Somebody took their time and prayed for me. When I was too stupid to pray for myself, somebody took the time to talk to me. And I know my mother prayed for people to, to send people my way. I'll never forget one time I was cussing some people out. I used to be really good at playing the dozens. And I was cussing some folks out, oh my, in the lunchroom at school. 
and it was a hearing impaired teacher assistant and she came to me she asked me to come over here and she said you're one of god's kids aren't you they all knew don't you talk what you're talking about wow what you talking about she was like come by come by my desk before you leave today she laid it all out for me she said you don't see what i see she said, you're trying so hard to fit in. She said, you weren't made to fit in. And mm. she said, all these people that you're trying to impress will mean nothing. You know the whole speech. Mm. But my point was, that rang in my ears, what is that, 35, 36 years later? Mm. And sometimes we're even now, I will try to dim my light or water things down, diminish myself to fit in. I remember what that woman said in that lunchroom 35, 36 years ago. She saved me out of some situations that would have been bad so that's the responsibility we have we may not ever see how far those ripples would carry something or what the resolution was but you got to do it we weren't given what we were given to keep to ourselves wow. thank you it's time for some challenges Woo! i got a lot of food over here boy i'm getting this over here i didn't get so much wisdom boy my belly is over full, past full. But I, I man, I sure enjoy the wisdom that we got today, boy. Man, I've been eating real good. <laughs> Definitely appreciate you, sir. I got more than the food that I was expecting to get. Boy, I'm feeling good over here. All right, my first challenge. As Dr. Kim has addressed the level of shame, I challenge our listeners to release that shame. We, we got to release the, the shame that's associated with our trauma. We all go through trauma. It's okay. You are not alone. Release the shame. You are not the only one that is going through what you've gone through. Believe it. Believe that. There's originality, but it ain't no originality in trauma. We all go through it. That's right. Second challenge is seek assistance from the experts. Seek them out. They're around you. You're just not looking at them. You can go to the therapist. Actually, it's people, in your, it's people around you that can really guide you. Just be listening to what they got to say. Don't shun the person that's trying to guide you right. Like Dr. Kim, like you said, the, the woman pulled you over and said, hey, stop trying to fit in. Mm -hmm. Instead of rejecting those, those wise words, we need to accept it. So let's seek assistance from the experts. And the last challenge is we need to assess our social norms and what we have been taught. Yeah. It's okay to go back to your mom and dad or just ask a question. Well, why did you do this? Why did you do that? I guarantee you, because I did it. My mom enlightened me and she said, that decision that you felt was a bad decision, I made at this age. I didn't know anybody. If I had to make that decision today, it'd be totally different. Mm -hmm. So we look at what, what our situation was at that time. Go back to the person that you feel wrong you or orchestrated that and talk to them. And they'll enlighten you and say, this was the, I had to make that decision based on the, the, the lack of wisdom or the limited amount of resources that I had. Sometimes we view a situation and don't understand why it happened. Go back and learn why it happened and how it affected you, and that will help you heal. Because oftentimes what we personalize is really was never made to be personal. So that's my challenge. Those are my challenges. Those are good ones. Those are good. That's a lot of work. <laughs> Wait, no, you did the work. I just, while you was talking, I said, oh, man, this is, okay, we're going to add this to the challenges because she dropped the bomb there. She dropped the bomb there. She dropped the bomb there. Okay, we're going to put that in the challenges. I was like, oh. summary, yay. 
<laughs> Let's tell you, boy, I'm eating good over here right now, boy. I didn't have any physical food, but the spiritual food, it's just, oh, my God. I got like two or three plates of spiritual food right here. <laughs> hey, I'm going to better myself. Oh, my. This was all good. All good. Well, I said I'd like to invite, I know you all already know, but anybody listening to join us on Love and Life According to Dr. Kim on Facebook, you can look us up. It is a closed group closed group on purpose so people do feel safer in that space to share love and life according to dr kim we would love to have women who would like to join the conversation there and thank you all again for having me tonight i appreciate the space to talk and share oh you coming back what you mean oh, don't be acting like this is one time thing you coming back i tell listeners the listeners you got to go to the group i think the first day i must have got like two or three different conversations see the first time I got in the group. So you have to go to the group. I'm telling you, great conversation. Come on in. The water's fine. <laughs> oh, it's nice and warm. You coming in there. Oh, this is cozy in here. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you again, Dr. Kim, for joining mm -hmm. us. Thank you, my dear, for the invitation. Yes, thank you. Is there anything that you want to leave our listeners with? No, I can't go over those challenges. I think okay. everything that um, Akima put in the challenges is right there, especially that first one, releasing the shame. You are not your issues. You are not your past. You are not the things that happened to you. And don't accept that as your identity. That's, that's the biggest one for me. That's what we're trying to dismantle. Amen. Mm. Amen to that. Well, thank you again for joining us and thank you to all of our listeners. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to another episode of Conversations with the Royal Empress. Tune in next week for another enlightening conversation. For more information on the Royal Empress, please visit the website royalempress.org. You can also follow the Royal Empress on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Conversations with the Royal Empress is a subsidiary of the Royal Empress Organization. All rights reserved.